Hey everybody, welcome to the first ever episode of Tech and Beer with Calvino. I'm Calvino, and today we're going to be talking to uh, my friend Giles Crouch, and we're going to be talking about AI and big data. So uh, yeah, let's have some fun, hopefully learn a little bit about AI, and enjoy a great beer. How's it going, Giles? It's excellent, Calvino. Glad excellent. to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. The inaugural episode. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's yeah. Uh, hopefully the first of many. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So. So you're a digital strategist slash CIO and managing partner of a local company called Expansive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you've worked with lots of uh, multinational organizations as well as some of our lo local kind of uh, established companies that we all know and love. And um, some smaller businesses and startups. And, and some, so you've got a broad range of experience. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And would it be fair to say that you're one of the um, uh, kind of leading experts locally in AI and big data? I don't know about an, about an expert, <laughs> but um, you know, more than a working knowledge of it, perhaps, yeah, yeah and, and mostly focused in the business application of it and, and how businesses can leverage it and governments, okay. yeah. So yeah. tell me a bit about that. Tell me about your experience and some of the things you've done. Boy, um, <laughs> you know, we've I've done some work in the past with natural language processing where we worked with uh, Dalhousie University and their Big Data Institute. Uh, and also University of Montreal in translation of uh, multiple languages, which was very interesting. Could we turn French and Arabic and, and analyze it on the fly? And, and natural language processing being a branch of, of AI. Okay. Um, and, and we used uh, data from the uh, Tunisian elections uh, right. a few years ago. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was quite fascinating. Um, and then uh, done some work in the area, mostly in where it comes to big data and, and machine learning, uh, working with different large data sets to uh, apply machine learning to come up with business ideas. Yeah. yeah. So, so we all have this kind of idea that we're taught in the movies about what AI is supposed to be and what it's capable of. Yeah. How realistic is that? Um, well, it's a lot of fun. It's really scary, and they're almost always dystopian. Um, but uh, that's called general AI. What we see from Hollywood is general AI, and um, it can be scary. And general AI is when a machine essentially has some degree of consciousness and can make decisions and has human thought. Um, and we're not there yet. In fact, we're really far away from it. Where we are today is what they call weak AI. Um, okay. And general AI is what they call strong AI in, in the more technical side. Um, and weak AI means it's not weak, it can do a lot. It's very task specific. So chatbots are a good example. Right. Uh, customer service where people can go on and they can have, they think they're chatting with a chatbot, but they're actually talking to an AI system that is going and mining the system, the, all the data they have to answer technical questions. Right. That's really where we are today, or an AI that finds parking tickets because it's asset accessing legal data yeah. and has had a far better record than lawyers have ever had. So, <laughs> sorry for the lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can use that to negotiate lower rates. <laughs> Maybe we can. Yeah, I'm just going to go and get an AI. And, uh, and, and that's where it is today. And to get to that general AI requires so much data. And it also means that a machine has to have consciousness. Mm. And we don't even understand what consciousness is today ourselves. So if we can't define it, how can we possibly teach a machine? Right. Right. That's true. And if we think of it in terms of a machine, will machines even ever think like people because they're machines, not people? Yeah. They're not human. Because it used to be said that um, as soon as a machine could beat the grandmaster at chess, that was 
consciousness and AI, and, and that was the, the pinnacle of machine learning. Yeah. Um, and, and that happened some time ago. And <laughs> it did, yeah, with chess. And then, uh, but when they had teams of humans playing chess against an AI, the humans won. Did they? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they did Go, of course, and that was Google yeah. uh, going after playing Go. That's kind of easy in a sense because that's a probability problem. Yeah. So when you're dealing with probabilities, you're dealing with math, and you're dealing with algorithms. So that's understandable that we could get to that point. But uh, Steve Wozniak has his, his favorite uh, test for AI, which is, uh, he calls it the coffee test. <laughs> so can a computer walk into a house, know how to open the door, where to go to the kitchen to get the water, get the coffee pot, and then to make a, a cup of coffee? Right. Yeah. A simple yet complex task. Very yeah. complex task. Yeah. Exactly. So machines aren't there yet. Um, if you've ever, I, I mean, all of us, I'm sure we've used a cookbook and made a recipe at some point. Yeah. If you've made a recipe, that's an algorithm. Right. The ingredients could be like the data, and you can change the data and the different ingredients that you use, but the recipe could stay the same. So a recipe is an algorithm, and that's what AI uses is algorithms. Yeah. So you mentioned chatbots and, and uh, tools like that, which we're, most of us interact with today, maybe without even knowing. Mm. Um, what are some of the really exciting applications that we're seeing start to emerge today um, that businesses are, are putting into place out there? Um, well, the, this couple, certainly the healthcare sector, I think, is the most interesting, where they're using AI for cancer detection. Uh, and they're, they're getting far more advanced because they can put the human cells and an AI has so much data to draw upon um, and it can figure out your cancers much earlier. Right. You can use it for drug analysis as well, so you can do tailor-made pharmaceuticals combined with DNA data. Um, a sort of an environmental, a very interesting one that uh, I was reading about is um, in Africa. I, I can't remember the country. I, I think it was Nigeria, maybe. Um, they had a program for monitoring the zebras. And what they did was they went out and got photographs from people, tourists that had uploaded them onto the web. They coordinated that with GPS data and they were tracking the zebras around. And what they discovered was areas where there were uh, higher amounts of lion attacks. Oh. So by the AI learning about this, they were able to change the management program so that they could protect the zebra population. Wow. So that's kind of a neat. Yeah. Neat example of it. Um, here we are in Nova Scotia in Oceans Technology. Right. AI is going to play a huge role in that. Um, you have a big problem with underwater and spotting patterns, looking for submarines, yeah. for example. When you combine AI, um, areas of machine learning, you could detect enemy submarines or weapon systems, but right. you could also monitor schools of fish. Yes. and improve offshore fisheries as well. Which is something that uh, obviously is critical to this part of the world, right? Absolutely. To, uh, ensuring the survival and uh, future sustainability of those industries. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The ocean industry is key. So there's, there's a couple of really neat examples, yeah. I think. Yeah. That's interesting. So the other thing that we're kind of taught of in, in the movies is that AI is going to become this, you know, uncontrollable monster that's going to want to kill us all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe at some point. So, obviously that's not maybe realistic, but what are some of the realistic issues and challenges that we're, we're kind of dealing with today? Um, the, the one today that I think is closest for concern would be the use of predictive analytics. So say I come to you in your university and I say, all right, I want to do my MBA. And um, with my, and I, so I need financing to do that. And the university says, all right, we're gonna go and collect some data on you and figure out if you can get financing. 
So they get your information, they also get your parents' financial information and their track record and history and they say, look, your parents really didn't do anything big. They were sort of maintenance people or whatever. They earned yeah. a, a lower income. And so, you know, we look back generationally and we think you're probably not going to be good as an MBA. Right. So, no, we won't train you as an MBA, but if you'd like to go to community college and learn how to fix car engines, we'll pay for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's human agency. It's yeah. free will. And that's the predictive analytics. Insurance companies are... Um, spending a lot of money in using AI for risk analytics, and that goes towards life insurance, right. Right? that goes towards auto insurance, home insurance. So those, those are areas that we need to develop rules and practices for. A little further down the road, we could get super intelligent computers. And there's a difference between um, AI that's super intelligent and AI that has a consciousness. Right. So you can imagine that you could create a very super intelligent computer that has no morals and ethics and says, you know, humans really are the cause of all the trouble <laughs> on the earth. And they do go out and find ways to, to kill us off. Yeah. Uh, that, that is within the realm of probability. Yeah. Or possibility, I should yeah. say. And yeah, you know, they wouldn't be completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they might not be. Yeah. State of affairs right From now. Some perspectives, yeah. yeah. Um, interesting. Now, on interesting. the good side, politically, they might be able to stop rogue candidates from becoming presidents. Right. Yeah. That would be very helpful. <laughs> yeah. That would be very helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's yeah. It's it's got a long way to go. Yeah, and it, and it is one of the most ex when I look at all the technologies that are out there today that are kind of emerging and have a potential impact on the future of, of mankind or business. Uh, AI, for me, is one of the most exciting because <clears throat> it's, when you look at other ones, they, they kind of have a limit to them. Yes. And AI, it's, well, where is the limit? You know, and, and I'm sure there is, is a limit somewhere, but right now, uh, it's hard for, for us to kind of quantify where that is. Well, it is and it isn't. In, in one sense, there are some, a couple, two really big limitations right now, okay. uh, or maybe three. One is volumes of data. So the companies that are leading in AI, and you think of them on Facebook, Google, Apple, Microsoft, uh, the big tech giants, and that's because they have vast amounts of data at their fingertips. But they all have different kinds of data. Google's probably at the top because they have Google Maps, they have search data that they're collecting, and email, you know, where they do aggregate information. Uh, Apple doesn't have that variety of data. It's all within their own ecosystem, and same with Facebook. Facebook doesn't have as much search data, but Facebook has sort of personal data, what our lifestyle is and what our preferences are. So data is one limitation. How much can you store? Data storage is very expensive. It's, it's come down phenomenally. Um, but to produce AI, when you're talking to Siri, there are vast data centers back there that are processing that in real time. So that takes a lot of energy. So the yeah. two, two big problems come into where do you store data and then the cost and the energy to um, produce results for artificial intelligence. Yeah. And those are limitations. And we've also reached a plateau in computing. We're not getting that um, Moore's law of computing yeah. anymore. We've sort of reached maybe peak processing power. Yeah. Um, that's a challenge as well. So how do, you, how do you deal with the energy requirements? How do you deal with the storage requirements, the speed of trans? Uh, transition or um, communicating that data, um, and then how do you deal with the, the processing power? Right. You know? And it's uh, even with processing 
power today, it would take you 40 years to teach an AI one human language. Wow. Yeah. So, Which raises an interesting question. Um, I heard a, a story, and I don't know how true or, or false it is, but I think it was Facebook that had a couple of AI machines that started to communicate together in their own language recently. Mm -hmm. And they shut them down because we couldn't decode their language. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that is interesting. Um, they developed their own language. It was four AIs. And they developed their own language because it was faster for them to work. Right. And they didn't know where that was going. And the language was really weird. So yeah, they shut it down. The other experiment that was done, and I think it involved Google, um, they created essentially, they had four or five AIs and they gave them each an apple orchard. And, but they had to go and get apples okay. and, and to feed them. And what, they, what started to happen was they were fine at first, but as soon as the resources got low for one or the other, they became violent. They, they would get more and more aggressive. So <laughs> they, it was like, whoa, that's a bit frightening. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So creating their own languages, aggression. Again, not, not unlike some of the uh, more primitive human qualities that that, that we have. would have had yeah. in the past, right? Yeah, so, you know. it's it's one of the the reasons that I, whenever I talk about AI and and um, I, I always advocate for more women in AI, um, and more women, and we also need more cultural influence because mm -hmm. a large amount of AI today is being driven out of um, Western nations. Right. So they're coming from you know in Silicon Valley. Um, so we're missing two key elements in there different cultures because what makes up our planet and what makes us human is our differences yeah um, and that's different cultures and languages and from around the world and so you need more input and if you have it just being developed in China then it's going to have a Chinese centric view yeah if you have only men developing AI it's going to end up with a male centric viewpoint yeah. so you need the feminine with the masculine that's, that's what true. makes us yeah. human and that's a balance that we're figuring out you know ourselves right now. You know, yeah. in, in some very real ways. Very much um, so. So let alone uh, influence our influence our technology uh, to be that balanced. Yeah. That's going to be a real challenge in the future. And I think you know, I don't know who was behind that apple orchard experiment, but maybe it was all guys. You know? Right. Maybe yes. they played a lot of Call of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but maybe that seeps into how yeah. things get coded. Yeah. Well, it, it would again. It would be unavoidable that yeah. it would it would seep in, right? Yeah. 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 Interesting. It would. Yeah. So, who's leading the race in, in the AI world right now? Like, who, who are the leading players? It's like leapfrog these days. You know, one minute Google's ahead and they've done something amazing. The next minute, Facebook. You know, Apple's made a stride. Um, when it, you have corporate competition because they want to leverage it for money, of course, for profitability, um, then you have geopolitical struggles. Yeah. Uh, France came out last week with Macron saying, look, uh, we're, France is going to be a global leader in AI. Um, neural networking that um, we were talking about earlier has it came out of Canada, so Canada's yeah. taken a leadership role. Um, the U.S. is doing a lot. Um, China has indicated that artificial intelligence, along with big data, are fundamental to the country's development into the future. So you've got a geopolitical race that's taking place where it's, it's almost like that's the new national flag that you have to, right. to plant in the ground. Um, and then you've got... Like the space race. And the, just like the space race, yeah. yeah. And, and AI is penetrating out into space now yeah. already. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, it's a, it's very complex.
which uh, makes it fascinating. Yeah. yeah. How about from a commercial perspective? Uh, mm. You mentioned Facebook and Google already. Are, are they the big players, or are there, are there anybody else behind the scenes that maybe aren't so um, you know, public-facing or household names that, that we should keep an eye on? Google and, and Facebook have made their advances by acquiring smaller companies, mm. and I think there's a very similar approach in, with tech giants as pharmaceutical companies have taken. Um, probably about 20 years ago, pharmaceutical companies started to put the burden of drug development onto small startups and let them go through the trials and errors right. and do some of the initial experimentation. When it came close to valuable for commercialization, they'd swoop in and buy them up. Yeah. And that's what Google did with, with deep learning. Uh, right. They went in and bought them, they were out of the UK. Um, I don't think Facebook's going to buy Cambridge Analytica. Uh, <laughs> probably not on their acquisition <laughs> list. <laughs> I think we're all okay with that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I think a lot of it will come through acquisition. There's, you know, there probably is some really cool companies doing some really neat stuff. Yeah. Um, even here in Nova Scotia, I know that uh, there's some um, investment in AI through, through Dalhousie, St. Mary's yeah. is looking at it. Uh, UNB in New Brunswick, MUN in Newfoundland is doing some stuff. Um, so I think that uh, there, there is potential here too. Smaller companies will pop up, uh, yeah. but the big giants will probably swoop in and, and buy them and absorb them. So as a younger uh, person perhaps looking at, uh, for their future in the technology field or even in the work, workplace yeah. uh, in general, um, what, what can they do to get involved in AI? How can they protect themselves, make sure that they're if uh, their jobs aren't going to be taken away by AI, that or how can they maximize their potential within that field? What kind of advice could you give them? Well, they, you know, this, this is where something like STEM comes in, and, and so the science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, get those fundamentals and build on them, but don't forget about the arts, too. Um, right. Jack Ma said a, a little while ago that humans in the future of AI, it's going to be about them understanding how to create music and be more creative as human beings. Right. That's where AI doesn't do very well. It does terrible. Um, and I think that's where human creativity comes. So we, yes, go down a technology path. And I think the right mix is to understand the technology. To get into the basics of AI is really easy. Just Google, um, uh, Google AI. They have uh, platforms there where you can actually experiment with AI. Excellent. You can't break anything. You can go in, you can in input your own data. You can even use your own photographs yeah. to analyze. So if you've got thousands of photographs off your smartphone, you can actually use their AI engine to experiment with. Wow. And it's free, and you yeah. don't have to know any coding. Learning a language, you know, taking on right now, I would say something like Python or Java, which are probably the, the two dominant languages for, mm -hmm. for AI. Um, Python because of its flexibility and Java because it's object-oriented. Um, but they, and they both have strengths and weaknesses. But learning Python, um, you know, here I'm an old dinosaur and I figured out Python in just about a year. Right? So, you know, and working with statistical languages like R or in R may not even be around for a little while. As we know, languages keep leapfrogging each other. Yeah. C++ is still <laughs> hanging around. Still is, yeah. And it, and it also plays a key role in, in uh, artificial intelligence today. Right. So just learning some of those languages. There are free courses, there's paid courses. Um, I think that's a good thing. If you, if you understand some coding and you can write some code today, yeah. that's really important. You don't have to know a lot. You don't have to be fluent in it. Or you might discover you have a passion for it. And right. Next thing you know, off you go and you're, you're a code monster. Yeah. Um, 
but that's some of the fundamentals. But I think you still need the arts in there. Yeah. You know, okay. reading and not and reading real books and sitting down and, and getting a sense of the humanities will be key yeah. to that in the future. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And the commercial side, as you were asking about earlier. One of the we may never get to general AI where we've got this sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger style of Terminator, um, and it may not happen because there may not be a business case for it. Right. AI today is it's chatbots, it's machine learning, it's natural language processing. Uh, all of those have a easily recognizable commercial benefit. Yeah. And they will take over some automation. You'll see jobs and what they call in, in industry we call it efficiencies, right. which is sort of a, a another word for layoffs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And if you want to evolve, become or stop from being efficiencyed out of your job, um, an easy way is to look at a job and say, could this easily be automated? Right. So that could be an insurance adjuster. It could be a general practitioner or a nurse practitioner yeah. in healthcare. Um, sort of these lower jobs that don't require a lot of skills. But oddly enough, um, AI does, doesn't always do well with overcomplexity. Right. Um, but if you think that a job can be processed really easily, that job's probably going to be gone within 15 to 20 years. Yeah. 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 Very good chance. And, and sometimes, when we look back at the course of human history, that's happened at different points from the industrial age right, right up until today. Yeah. And it's not always a bad thing. It, it, it takes yeah. adjustment on our part. Um, yeah. But other jobs, new jobs are created and new opportunities are, are out there and yeah. normally there's a net benefit to society, you know, we no there longer is. have, uh, uh, you know, the, the industrial kind of issues that we had. No, um, we don't have China kids. has most of them now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And even they're changing to a more services-based economy. Exactly, you know, exactly. Where is so, going to be the next manufacturing <laughs> hub? Yeah, every technology is a double-edged sword Yeah. and every technology has unintended consequences. You know, yeah. Twitter was designed as a platform for ambulance crews to communicate with hospitals. Right. That was the purpose of Twitter. Now we have an insane president who's perverted <laughs> Twitter entirely. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, not to get political. And then, uh, and then the telephone. Alexander Bell invented the telephone to share opera music. Right. He had no intention of sharing it with the, you know, for people to communicate, and yeah. that's how we ended up using it. So we, it's really hard to say how we're going to end up using AI, same as robots, um, and it's, we're going to create whole new jobs that's, you know, if someone said to you 20 years ago that, you know, there's going to be a job called a social media manager. What would, social media? What social media? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, or, or a whole businesses that grow up around repairing the screens on our tablets and our smartphones. Yeah. Uh, that's a whole, and then the industry that came around with creating cases for them and all that. So that's created companies and jobs. Yeah. yeah, that's true. We often forget about that. I think we do. Yeah, it's, it's again human nature. We get sidetracked by the, the kind of fear and uncertainty, and yeah. lean towards that worst case scenario. That, uh, yeah, the business side is is hard because it's it's business and it's industry and. You, the purpose of a business is to, is to be profitable yeah. and to make a profit. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but they cut through the hype. But the media has the hype. Yeah. And the way that we communicate as a species is through stories. And right. we tell stories. And um, maybe it's that ancient fright or flight thing. Uh, yeah. So when we tell these dystopian futures like the Terminator and we, <laughs> we get all scared, maybe that's our lizard brain talking. Yeah, no, yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, interesting. Yeah. So, huh? 
from from your perspective, from what are you working on? Are you working on anything that's that's uh, in the next few months that are, that's interesting in the AI world, or anything that you'd like else you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, you know, I'm doing some stuff in the IoT space with a company that's. Um, they will actually use machine learning. Um, they've developed a device that um, sits into your toilet bowl, and the initial test is for diabetes. So okay. when you get up in the morning and you have your morning ablution, uh, <laughs> it, it, it tests what's in the toilet bowl and comes yeah. back and says, oh, your blood sugar is high or low. Or yeah. um, They're working on a pregnancy test. Um, they're working wow. on a PSA test for, for men. Yeah. Um, so, and that will use machine learning, so that's an element of artificial intelligence to actually help within the healthcare side. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm working and advising them on that. Um, and there's, there's a couple of other companies that are doing some yeah. interesting area in AI. Excellent. Now, of course, I can't say anything because that's their competitive advantage. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Well, yeah. thanks a lot for, uh, for coming to talk to us. And uh, before we go, we should talk about the beer. Because yeah. it is called Tech and Beer. Yeah, well, it is called Tech and Beer, and, and this is what Nine Locks. This is Nine Locks, yeah, Dirty it's, Blonde. Yeah, Dirty Blonde. Yeah, it's oh, that's tasty. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's um, good. It's uh, Cheers. acronym. Cheers. Congratulations it's, to the first episode. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, hope to see you again next time. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tech and Beer. We're live again from the Celtic Corner in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And today we're gonna to be talking about a topic that's not only really important, but uh, really interesting as well, and that's cybersecurity and ethical hacking. And it seems like, you know, at the moment, if you turn on the news every week, there's a, a new breach from some big company or some new kind of virus that's uh, got out on the market that's gonna threaten everybody. Uh, so it's gonna be really interesting to learn and talk about this. And our guest today is uh, Travis Barlow, Travis is a VP and founder of uh, GoSecure and manages their advanced threat protection group here in Dartmouth. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Not quite. Uh, Not quite. I'm a VP of the threat uh, hunt group there, yes. But okay. uh, founder of the Atlantic Security Conference. That's right. Yeah. Atlantic Security Conference. Yeah. Good try, though. Well, you know, I, I always forever. make mistakes. So that's what the beer's for. Covers a lot of mistakes. Good. So, yeah. So Travis is going to have a chat with us today and, and uh, hopefully, yeah, bring us up to speed on what's going on in the cybersecurity world. Sure. And today we're drinking the, uh, the Garrison Irish Red. Perfect. Yeah, so cheers, cheers. Travis. Welcome to Tech and Beer. Thank you. Mmm. It's not bad. Yeah, that's good. That's my first hope. I could have a second one of those. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Garrison, they're another local uh, Halifax-based brewery. They are. Uh, they've right. been around for, for a little while. But uh, yeah, they do, they do a good job. That's delicious. That's just right. So what's your background, Travis? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> 21 years in now, so okay. I'm starting to date myself in regards to age. Um, this is 24, 21st year in. Uh, started off uh, help desk when I got out of school. Wow. One year of college help yeah. desk. Um, working with a little company called Maritime, uh, Maritime Tell and Tell, MT&T. <laughs> yeah. Back when they were still around, I don't know if anybody remembers that. Again, getting older. Um, but uh, went from there, always interested in cybersecurity, uh, to the point where I was talking cybersecurity a few times. I almost got fired from different jobs <laughs> for doing so. Uh, 2006, I went and got a CISSP, a Certified Information Security uh, Systems Professional. Uh, so it's a pretty well-known certification. Uh, it was one that I overstudied for. Uh, scared to death to write it. Big exam <laughs> in my life up to that point. Cost a bit, fair bit of money. Had to fly to Montreal all the time to write it. You couldn't do it online. Okay. Uh, went and wrote that. Was humbled by that experience. Let me tell you, I was sitting in a room with about 80 other people that were writing it, and uh, most of them uh, definitely had more experience than I did. 
I was the youngest guy in the room, and uh, there, were, there was a lot of people in tears. They were that stressed about this wow. exam. Like it was for a lot of people back then, it was a fundamental uh, or pivotal moment for their career if they could achieve this. Yeah. So I, I achieved mine. I uh, came back, um, did a bit of uh, consulting for different companies, talked security a couple more times. Clients was told, "Don't do that ever again, because <laughs> it's going to slow down our project implementations." Okay, sorry. Uh, and then uh, you know I. Um, Worked for a, different, a couple different organizations, finally doing a bit of security at one, uh, which was great. Uh, lasted about a year there and left for other reasons. Uh, then uh, worked with the uh, big four accounting firm, uh, which was a great experience. Learned a lot. But what really started my career was uh, about uh, a year in, uh, I got a call from a friend of mine who was at a little bar call, called Tribeca in downtown Halifax, down from Toronto. And he said, you got to come have a drink with me. And I said, ah, I'm on the way home. And he said, no, no, come around, turn around. I said, I got a little kid at home now, an infant, right? And he's, ah, I already called your wife. It's okay. I'm like, oh, nah, we're in trouble now. Those are the best friends, the one that uh, organized the drinking for you before yeah. you go. Yeah. So I, I done a Yui, got back on the bridge, and I was going over to meet him, and I, I called home, and uh, before I had a chance to say, yeah, I already know, and you're paying for the shopping trip. I'm like, okay. So uh, anyway, we got over there, and we had uh, three beer in. He said, why don't you throw a conference here? And I said, it won't work. And uh, six and a half beer in, I picked the venue, came up with the name yeah. pretty well and uh, a time, and we said, yeah, we're going to do this. Uh, and then the next day, after getting a cab home out, out to Lawrencetown from downtown, which is not cheap, because yeah. uh, I certainly couldn't drive at that point, um, the next day I, I get a cab back in, get my truck, go to work, I'm sitting in the office about 10 a.m., hungover, just miserable. Yeah. And he sends me an email, I said, can't wait to go to your conference. And I'm like, oh, my. So then we had to troll it off, and that's what really started my career. I got to be honest with you. In IT security, we uh, we pulled it off. I got some like-minded people together, formed a nonprofit, uh, bootstrapped it with one of my lines of credit. Uh, the first year we had 42 people. I'm pretty sure 40 of them we paid for. Uh, it was it was interesting. Uh, this past year in April we we're up to 702. Wow. So good organic growth, and we continue to grow. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, it's that's what really started me down the line and got me. The first year of that conference, I had three job yeah. offers the second day, yeah. uh, all pure security play. I took one, and uh, the career has just kind of gone like that ever since. Right. It's the most interesting field that I know of. Yeah. It's the most exciting. It's not for somebody that wants to work seven hours a day. Right. It's, it's a field that you need to be on all the time. You need to be researching. I'm not yeah. sure you can work seven hours a day and do all right, but if you want to be a leader, you can't. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of effort that goes into this. Like anything, I, I guess, it's probably, uh, especially in a field that's changing so much, you're going to get out of it what you put into it, right? So. Precisely. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, there's so much happening every week. There's new breaches. I mean, if you're following the news, just uh, yesterday and today, there was a major breach apparently at two <laughs> banks. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a breach. Uh, is it major? I'm sure they think it is. Uh, I'm sure the people on impact to think it is. Um, but when somebody says major breach to me, I'm thinking a full compromise. Yeah. This appears to be stolen credit card and account data, right. which uh, is bad enough in itself. I'm not downplaying that, but... Uh, I love how the media makes a sensational story out of these things. It, the media definitely has an interesting role to play in how people perceive uh, security breaches and, and the potential risks involved. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I mean, like anything, they sensationalize a lot of it, right? So that's interesting. Yeah. So tell me about your work with GoSecure and, and some of the stuff that you guys do there. Sure. So I joined about four years ago uh, to build out a threat hunt practice. So yeah. GoSecure has been around since 2002, uh, Montreal-based. I joined about four years ago with an idea. Okay. And uh, it was interesting because they, they got behind me in my idea, and uh, we built it out here in Halifax. We have 39 people. We, uh, we deploy our technology. We threat hunt for people 24-7 organizations on their networks. 
uh, and off their networks as well. And when we see a threat, we can actually mitigate it for them. Okay. So it's, it's been rather interesting. Uh, it's been a learning experience. What yeah. I thought threat hunting looked like four years ago, much like our conference, what I thought it looked right. like at the beginning, it doesn't look like today. What's changed? What's the biggest change? Technology, the speed that yeah. needs to be achieved in. Uh, when we initially started, uh, most threat hunting was based on, even our competitors today, a lot of them still do this, logs and traffic. Okay. Uh, what we find, where we get a lot of our findings uh, that lead to threats, it's behavioral based now. So we've moved that road, uh, down that road of behavior based uh, on the endpoints and service right. workstations and servers, which has really given us a leg up. Uh, and we continue to evolve. So now we're actually have a couple of data scientists and developers working with me. We're building, we have our own machine learning back threat hunt platform right. that we're just seeing the, uh, I guess, maturation of right now. We're starting to deploy. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely given us a leg up. Uh, so everything we've learned in the last three and a half years from a threat hunt perspective, we've taught technology to do for us. So right. now we can focus on the real key things that we want. I missed them, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah we've, got some, uh, we've got some special guests. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> airborne. Exactly, interesting. So you mentioned machine learning there, and, and uh, I mean, I'm in the IT space as well, and I, I tend to, I get different vendors come to me with kind of machine learning based products that can, with lots of claims about what they can do. What, what scares me about that is that when you're talking about your security, are you really going to trust it to a, a machine? How do you know if the machine learning platform is, is really doing what it says it's doing? So that's and, great. And how do you know that that's not breached itself? Valid question. And uh, I can tell you that uh, I was at RSA about a month ago, and that's the biggest security conference in the world, and it's the, it's the biggest vendor pitch in the world. Yeah. I don't know how many vendors they had, had there, but I spent two days walking that floor looking at different technology. Not much excited me. So we'll talk about machine learning in a second, but if anybody says artificial intelligence, walk away. Right. Because nobody's there yet in my mind. They'll pitch it and then they'll argue till they're blue yeah. in the face. When it comes to machine learning, machine learning is interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I got a data scientist. You're welcome to interview sometime as well up there. Alex Ketty, genius. Uh, young guy from Halifax, real smart guy. Got a great beard. So <laughs> I figure it, the smarter he gets, the longer the beard gets. But anyway, um, you know, with machine learning, you have to continue to train. And I think what happens, a lot of product-based companies, especially around security, what will happen is they'll build a product and they'll see some success, some detection success, some mitigation maybe, and they'll go to market. But with a lot of product companies, the idea is build it mm. and then slow down your development and sell as much, make as much profit as you can selling what you already have. And when it comes to security, that's a lose-lose. Right. That's not going to work. Right? So uh, I'm, I'm always leery when somebody says machine learning because I want to know how they're doing it. Like The way we're looking at it now is a constant retraining as we go, yeah, and uh, it's a big investment to do that. It's not sure. you can't automate the retraining yeah. at the level you'd like to, right? Because it, requ yeah. it requires uh, te testing, revision testing. It's, there's a lot to this. So, if I'm a small business owner or a business owner today, what, what are the biggest kind of risks to me as a, from a cybersecurity perspective? What are, what should I be doing? What should I be looking out for? What should I be aware of? It really comes down to the type of business you are. What's your presence? Yeah. I mean, everybody, every business has an internet connection. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll, I'll blow your mind with what I'm about to say. Recently, I've come across a couple of companies that are not clients, and they've called us up looking for assistance, only to realize they don't even have a firewall, a basic firewall, or a 12-year-old yeah. firewall, Yeah. right? Um, so it's, uh, you know, I mean, the basics aren't being done. Mm. And I, that, that's, that's a challenge right now for a lot of small <laughs> to medium businesses in this region. Um, 
we're seeing a lot of people get hit with ransomware. We are. Yeah. And not so much the opportunistic ransomware, opportunistic ransomware you've seen a few years ago where they spam or they, they send ransomware attachments out to a couple hundred thousand or a million email addresses. Yeah. Now we're seeing targeted. So if somebody has, for instance, a one server in their office, which is uh, Microsoft, say Microsoft Small Business Service, RDP, remote desktop, open to the internet. Right. No two-factor, single-factor authentication, username and password. We're seeing an attacker target these guys, and it's easy to find them. You use a website called Chodan, you can find anything you want. Okay. Uh, or you can just scan the internet, but you get in there, they, they compromise it, brute force attack, they get in, they start looking around, they say, oh, here are your backups over here, yeah. here's your server, here's a, oh, here's your finances, what do, what do you bill on average a month? So if you're <laughs> down two weeks, what's it worth to you? Let's see. And then they encrypt everything. Yeah. And we're seeing more and more of that. Between Christmas and New Year's, I personally received four calls from companies I've never heard of saying, can you help us? Yeah. And we got one last week. My backups are encrypted, my servers are encrypted, can you help us? Sorry. You know, but that comes back to a base principle. Where are your backups stored? Right. Are they off network or on network? Everybody's moving towards these technology solutions that yeah. are easy and fast. Fast to backup, fast restore. They don't think a lot about the uh, potential for ransomware and so right. forth. Right. So I know a lot of organizations that are after paying out. Yeah, you know, no, me too. I've heard. I've it's a shame, really, but yeah, it, it, and it, again, I think some of it comes down to what business are you in and and what's the kind of information you're storing. And but uh, it's it is a shame, and it's it's a big cost to a lot of businesses. That's why it's a multi-billion-dollar industry now. Right. Um, but interesting. It is, but you, you raise a good point. Multi-billion-dollar industry that, in a lot of cases, is driven on fear. Absolutely. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, yeah. FUD, as you know. And, uh, you know, personally, we don't operate like that. Uh, and I, I know a lot of organizations that don't. But I think when you look at the purchasing, people doing the purchasing today, most of them are they're fearful. They don't want to be hit. And they don't want to be known as, if you're a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, right. you don't want to be known as the guy that was hit because <laughs> yeah. you didn't buy this or you didn't buy that. Yeah. The other side of this is you have a lot of vendors promising the world. At the end of the day, your device, your next-gen firewall, your software solution, it can't do all of that. It might do it in the best occasions. We'll yeah. do it all the time, no. Will it be 100%? No, because in security, nothing's 100%. And true security is three things. Sweat, blood, and tears. Right. <laughs> on top of the tech. Because you need that human component that we talked yeah. about earlier. Without that human component, it's going to fail. Right. It's people in process. Yeah. And dedication. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well. So, what, from, from your perspective, what are the... Um, trends going forward. So going going forward in the cybersecurity world, uh, what's the biggest trend that we see? I think you're going to see more move towards automation. So you've heard of network orchestration. Okay. You're going to see more security orchestration. Uh, we've already seen some companies come up with that. My big fear is when you talk about a trend in the industry, right now a lot of people are creating great tech, but they're creating it, they're venture cap back, which I'm not against by any means. Right. But you got to look at, if you were a CISO now, you're going to invest, say it's just a quarter million, which is a nice chunk of change, in this technology, is it going to be there next year? We're seeing a lot of movement right. in the, the providers, the vendors, and I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation in the near future. Yeah. Uh, we've seen some already, uh, but I think in the next year or two, there's going to be much more. Yeah. There's still going to be constant startups, new VC-backed ventures, but uh, I think even the investors are starting to say, when am I going to see my money? Yeah. You know, There's a lot of money been invested in this industry, and... You know, a lot of people are saying, how soon till I see my money, my return on my investment? Yeah. In regards to threats, uh, I mean, right now, I, I gave a talk, a keynote a couple weeks ago in Newfoundland, and I can tell you that, I said the same thing there, I'll say here, the biggest threat to you as an individual organization is based on somebody wanting to make money. It's all right. financial. 
Occasionally there's going to be something else. There's going to be all the hacktivism or something, which is great. But the biggest one we're seeing right now is financial. That's not going to change. They want your money. Now, your money can come in many terms, yeah. in many forms. It could be actual taking money out of your account, taking money from your company, encrypting you, yeah. ransomware and so forth. Uh, this ran the bank that I told you about earlier, <coughs> the two banks that were compromised, they actually they didn't know until they received the ransom demand yeah. for a million dollars. Uh, and even if they pay it, who's to say that data is going to come back or be deleted? Yeah. Who knows? Do they really have the data? Who knows? Yeah. Right? I don't know all the uh, ins and outs of this right yet. It's still coming out. It's active. But, uh, you know, the other type of inf the other type in the, with that bank issue today, yesterday and today, is data. What data do you have in your organization? What would yeah. that be worth? So if you're a provider, if you're managing somebody's networks, you have access to their networks, how do you right. protect that? Absolutely. Recently, with one of my clients, we became aware of when we started digging in on something, that their third-party provider that has remote access to their networks yeah. doesn't use two-factor authentication. So anybody on the internet could hit this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And get access. Uh, and then it got really interesting because then we found out that a third party, when I had a conversation with them, a third party provider is also used by two other clients I know of <laughs> who hadn't informed us. Yeah. Right? Interesting. Very interesting. So, I mean, it's uh, one, of, one bit of advice I'll, I'll give any of your viewers is if you're using a third party, whether they're just managing your network, managing your servers, if they connect remotely, how do they do it? Right. That makes sense. If you're a smaller business, do you have a firewall? What type of firewall? Yeah. You know? Uh, look at replacing that. Make sure it's up to date. Is it up to date? That's. Uh, I had a customer just last week. They believe it or not, they've got a number of firewalls and none of them are updated. Ever. So they're not. So the they're not subscriptions expired. Yeah. Subscriptions expired. So the value is like nil. Yeah. In, in, in reality, when we look at clients that have next-gen firewalls, uh, which is what you buy today, obviously, where the integration of antivirus, network scanning, traffic scanning, everything. Most most of them integrate an endpoint agent too for your uh, workstations and servers. Um, you know, we look across our client base, it doesn't matter what they're running, at best, these next-gen firewalls are catching about 25% of the threats. Right. So there's still 75% left, right? Yeah. You know, so... So, change topics a little bit here. Yeah. So let me ask you about ethical hacking. Because sure. that's always a term that perhaps not a lot of people understand completely. And when we see things that have happened, like what's happened here with the province recently, mm -hmm. and um, Different companies looking to employ an ethical hacker to test them. Like, how does that work? Tell me about tell me about ethical hacking. Explain what it is and, and how it works. Certainly. So, ethical hacking is basically you, as a client, would engage me or my team to perform an attack, uh, an actual hack on you. Yeah. Can we get in from the outside? Typically, it comes in multiple forms: internal, so we're pretending we're inside your network already, seeing if we can get data exfiltrated; external, uh, we're trying multiple ways to get in from external. Sometimes it's black box external, which right. is the day of. My, my team doesn't know who they're, who they're hacking until the morning of. Ah, okay. The engagement starts, and I say, here's the name of the company, without telling me anything else. Yeah. You know, we got one guy that, within 30 minutes of getting the name, he was from inside, outside, sorry, to inside their data center in full domain admin access in 30 minutes. Wow. Right? And then you can add other things on there, such as phishing attacks. We typically don't do phishing attacks that target users. Yeah. Because we know somebody's going to click on it. Yeah. It's a given. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, so that's what ethical hacking is. Uh, it's very interesting. It's a great trade to be in. Uh, I've seen, uh, years ago I used to do a bit of it for some organizations, uh, now I'm too old and too slow, uh, I'll say that, but uh, the people that we have doing it right now, performing ethical hacking, our pen te penetration test team, yeah. these guys, they, they can do anything, they're right. amazing, like we have a, a team that recently reverse engineered ATMs for one of our large global banking clients. Wow. And uh, very, they were very impressed with the results. In a week, they had done like four major things that nobody else seemed to be able to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, take one ATM, compromise it, 
have the rest of the ATMs globally spew out all their cash. Yeah. You know, things like that. So when he, he was so excited, the guy, the main guy sent down to do this, he called me up. He said, uh, so what do you want to do? I said, well, let's go for a road trip. And of course, we were joking. We wouldn't do that. But, you know, um, it, was, it was definitely interesting. The client was happy. But that's the level of things that we do. Yeah. Uh, we pen test uh, airplanes. Right. A lot of manufacturers of airplanes will use us. And before we, uh, you know, that USB you can plug in to charge yeah. up your phone, right? You plug that in. Can you get from there? Can you take over the flight systems? Right. In the last couple of years, there's been some claims. So our team would actually pen test some of those planes yeah. before they're allowed to be certified to fly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's an amazing industry. It's an amazing part of our industry. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people say they do this. Uh, what I can, the advice I can give you, if you know anybody who wants to be a pen tester, right. um, it's not as simple as just saying, uh, let me write a certification and go. Because you need to understand every aspect. You need to understand the code, the network, right. you know, everything. I would imagine there's quite a high level of not just intuition, but kind of understanding of, yeah, multiple systems that needs to be there. I don't know. I find intu intuition comes from understanding to, to an extent myself when it comes to these things. Um, but definitely a high level understanding of everything. Uh, you know, I mean, for my people that do threat hunting, I start off with packet analysis. Right. Can you do packet analysis during the initial interview? Here, tell me what that is. And if you yeah. can't do it without Google, <laughs> I got to be honest with you. You know, you're probably not going to be a good fit. Yeah. You know, so, uh, but no, the industry itself, pen testing is amazing. Um, you know, it's a great career for somebody. Okay. The, the salaries are very, very well done for people that can get results. So that brings up a good question. So how, it's a great career and obviously cybersecurity is going to be around for a long time. So how does somebody get into it? What, what's, what's, what are the main, what's the best paths in? What's the... I, I would always recommend you start with a network course. Okay. So whether it's diploma, network support, network engineering, architect, maybe masters of internet working from Dalhousie. They have a great program over there. Shelly Keynes, Bill Robinson doing a great job over there. Okay. Uh, big supporter of what they do. Uh, Nova Scotia Community College here in SCC, they're actually starting this year their first cybersecurity course, two years. Wow. Which uh, is very impressive as well. That's, that's uh, Ron cool. McLeod's yeah. over there leading that, doing a great job, some other people. Um, pretty excited about that. I'm pretty excited to see yeah. in two years' time the level of resources we have coming out of that. Yeah. Um, what a great thing for this region as well to have uh, those kind of courses in our education. Because, I mean, we've got some fantastic educational institutions. We so do. To, to start spitting out tech-focused talent like that would be would be awesome. There's a big market for it, I tell you. I mean, we started here, and my, my whole goal was to start with GoSkier here and export our services everywhere, hire here and export right. our services. And we've been doing quite well. And lately, in the last year, we've landed a lot of clients in the region. But that was, that's indirect. That's not something we, we were chasing. Yeah. The goal was to hire people here, create jobs, and do services elsewhere. Our first client was in Boston. Right. Four years ago, we had some desks. The chairs hadn't arrived. We were on lawn chairs. <laughs> you know those folded ones from Canadian Tire with the beer cup holder? Yeah. That's what we were sitting on. We had our first client, <laughs> and it just kind of spawned from there. And now we're, I think we're getting ready to deploy to our 100th right now. Wow. Yeah, so I'm pretty that's excited. But uh, That's, that's a great up. milestone. Yeah, cheers yeah, to that. It'll be good, man. That's cool. It'll be good, thanks. But uh, like you said, with the right resources, it can be done here. And yeah. the more we educate people, and especially we set them up right when they're going right into school. Yeah. So uh, otherwise, I mean, I've hired a lot of people that came out of Nova Scotia Community College that came from the database administration program. Okay. They seem to have the mindset they need. Yeah. And then we, we give them a three-month boot camp. We train them up, and then they work on our senior people, and we slowly bring them up the ladder. But uh, some of my best threat hunters are DBAs. That's their education. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I tell clients this, and they come up and they meet them. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> they're blown away because... They're used to old guys like me and you. Right. And you know what? Old guys like me and you can't keep up with these kids today. I'm telling you. 
It's like uh, watching these people operate. It's like somebody watching somebody back. Yeah. Remember arcades when we were kids? I do. You remember I you do. get ten bucks and quarters, you go Look, to the arcade, and you. I'm so sad that I was thinking just the other day. I was so sad that arcades don't exist anymore. Yeah, like, the dark, danky arcade yeah. with the flashy lights, the smell of cigarette smoke. <laughs> you can still smoke in them. You know, I, I miss that. Yeah. Ironically, I yeah. really miss that. And uh, Golden Axe. That was my game. I don't know what that was. You don't go next? No. Uh, I grew up in the UK, so we probably had uh, different games. Yeah, Pac-Man and Defender. Remember Sega Defender? Rally and stuff like Sega that. Sega Rally. Yeah. yeah. Defender yeah. Afterburner. Yes. Yeah, I used yeah. to play that. Yeah. I still got a Sega at home. Do you? I got okay. a Terry 2600 nice. and I got a Sega. <laughs> Not the Genesis, just a Sega. Yeah, just but, a Sega. Uh, yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Kids today got it easy. These new Xboxes and PS4s. Well, you know, and they, they're so connected, right? It's, uh, you know, whether it's uh, through phones, tablets, computers, it's, they don't even have to get up out of their, out of their chair to explore the world. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a good thing and a bad thing, I think. It's, it's a balance, right? It's how do you... I think, from a security point of view, I have some massive concerns about this generation. Right, yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing it. I mean, everything's out on the net. If you look at what happened just with Facebook, yeah. people are calling me, when all that got announced about Facebook and that third-party company, that was based in the UK. Cambridge, Cambridge yeah, Cambridge, Cambridge uh, Taking all the data, I gotta be honest with you, people are calling me up, like, what do we do? I'm like, well, and they're mad. Mm. And I'm like, well, why are you mad? Even my family was mad. My family uses Facebook to share <coughs> pictures, Newfoundland, yeah. right? And why are you mad? Well, they shouldn't have done this. I'm like, but you put your data out there. And well, I know they shouldn't have done it, but common sense says if you put, give it to somebody else, you can't control what's going on. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. I was talking last week to a few people about the, uh, the Amazon Alexa yeah. and those in-home <laughs> devices. And yeah. I mean, okay. You know, they're there. They're fairly simple devices. There's only so much they can do. And, but for me personally, I'm not ready to have those in my home yet, just because I've got a family. Um, you don't know what, where that day, you, we're not fully aware of how, what it means to have a fully integrated IoT home, what kind of risks and uh, compromises are gonna be available yet, uh, or gonna happen yet. So to me, it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you connect everything in your home on a, probably an unsecured network, mm -hmm. uh, and it's your family. It's, it's the most precious thing you've got. Precious. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but. I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot stick. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't do, I, I love technology. I consider myself a somewhat early adopter, you yeah. know. I, I got the iPhone X, I got the watch. And yeah. Technology, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. But something like that, I'm very cautious about. Like you said, you don't want it near your family, near your house necessarily. You know? A lot of my colleagues, a lot of my friends have them. Yeah, and they're, they're great. Yeah. I mean, South Park did a great skit on this. Cartman? Right. I haven't seen that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to recommend you watch it, but <laughs> you should watch it. Nobody else should watch it. Uh, but uh, he has Alexa, and he has the other one, and uh, he gets them all talking. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. But recently, there was uh, just in the news two days ago, or maybe it was Friday, there was a lady that basically her, her conversation was recorded and sent to a friend of hers, a conversation between her and her husband yeah. in a personal setting. There were keywords in there that caused Alexa, I believe, to record it and then send it to a friend of theirs. Right. So I think what it comes down to is people need to realize, I don't care if it comes from Google, if it comes from Amazon, technology is not infallible. No. Technology will fail. It fails a lot. Most times you don't know about it because there's people behind it to take right. care of it, but technology fails. Yeah. And uh, you know, you can trust technology, but it's not gonna be 100%. And you know why it's not gonna be 100%? Pure and simple. If a human designed it and built it, it's going to fail. We're not 100%. We're yeah. not 100%. There's exactly. no way to get there. And now, if we ever get AI, you're, you're a fan of the Terminator series? Oh, absolutely. So am I. So am I. I love that stuff. I'm going to watch it again tonight now yeah. that we talked about it. But um, you know what? If you're a fan of AI, if we get to the point where AI can produce its own, 
uh, I'm going to get very concerned. Yeah. And I don't think we're nearly, I don't think we're close to that at all right now. My I'm belief. a little bit of a skeptic personally, is if we can get to, tr I, mean, I know we can get to very, very, very smart machines, but I think there's a, I read a book and, and listened to a big interview from uh, the chess player from Russia, Garry Kasparov. And he was talking about, we've got to be, we've got to understand what is the difference between AI and just really smart algorithms. So there's a big difference there because we can teach him. I mean, he lost to Deep Blue and everybody used to say that when a, a machine can beat a, the grandmaster at chess, that's AI. Well, it's not really. It's not AI. Like, I mean, it's, it's just multiple choice, right? You know, it's, it's how to, what's, what, what's my choice here? Uh, so that's, I'm a li I think we're a far, far further off from true AI than, um, than we mo most of us think. But. Most representations I've seen of AI, and I think you're correct, by the way, but most representations I've seen of AI, if they make the mistake of letting us look under the covers, what it really is, is loop logic. Yeah. Basically, it's just recycling logic. Oh, it's not this, so it must be this, or it must be this. It's like multiple choice, but a very bad multiple choice. Yeah. Awesome. Good. Okay. Well... So from a security perspective, anything else you want to tell us about? We've probably got to wrap up here soon, but uh, yeah, you're, you're my smart guest today, so... I'm your only guest today, so it narrows the field. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Well, I always try to have smart guests, yeah. so, you know. I thought you were going for good looking. That's what you told me today. <laughs> no? uh, you know, people need to be aware. Yeah. We're at a point right now where I had this talk last week with someone. I don't care if you're a home user. I don't care if you're a business user. You need to be aware of the risks. Yeah. Okay, and there's a lot of great resources out there to learn about these. I'll mention uh, one organization, uh, okay. Serene Risk. Okay. They have an online learning platform where you can go and you can learn about the attacks to your personal banking, to your organizations, yeah. how different attacks work, phishing attacks and so forth. It's free. Yeah. It's government back backed. It's, it's a beautiful thing and they do a great job of it. They were at my conference in right. April. Uh, I can also speak to the fact that like tonight, for instance, we're having Halifax Area Security Clutch. Yeah. And that is free for anybody to attend. There's a bit of food and a few drinks. Uh, and it's open to everybody. It's at the tap room at 6 p.m. Yeah. Wide open. Um, you know, and there's, there's knowledge that is shared there. A lot of like-minded security professionals. Now, if you're not a security professional, be prepared because we're all paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but there's nothing wrong with a bit of healthy paranoia. Absolutely. But people, coming back to it, people need to take responsibility for their data and their security. And everybody can, the resources are there. And uh, I mean, if they have any questions, they can contact you and we can talk and we, can, we may post some stuff. Absolutely. But I'd uh, be more than willing to help out there. Uh, meanwhile, if anybody has if anything serious, somebody wants to talk to me, they can, you put them in touch with me. And yeah. We'll have a chat, but uh, you know, we're here to help. Uh, I think that from an IT security community point of view, which basically me and some of my colleagues built in Atlantic Canada, because there was none. You really did, yeah. yeah we, we, um, that's, well, I mean, you, we, we built you, it. you structured it. We, we structured it because we wanted it, because it didn't exist and we were lonely, yeah. <laughs> right? IT security, lonely people, I'm telling you. But You don't want lonely IT people that are dangerous. You don't want, so. you don't want that, you're right. So, uh, but if, if we can do anything to help, it's just a matter of reaching out to me or any of my like-minded resources and uh, we're there. And uh, knowledge is pretty well free. Yeah. Knowledge sharing, it's, uh, it's free if it's for the right, idea, right reasons. Yeah, that makes okay. sense. Good. Well, thank you very much. I, thank you. I want to say thanks to you, Travis, for uh, coming on the show today, and thanks to you and uh, Go Secure for sponsoring this uh, this event. Our uh, pleasure. It's uh, very much appreciated. And yeah, if you if you're out tonight in Halifax and you're looking for an event to attend, go to the Hask, uh, the tap room, tap room on the tap room is the third floor above the above lower deck. Above the lower deck. That's yeah, right. Above lower deck. Yeah. And uh, yeah, check it out. So yeah, thanks a lot, guys, and uh, catch you next time.
Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tech and Beer. We're live again today from the Celtic Corner in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. And this is probably the second most important show you're going to watch on TV this week. Obviously the most important is tomorrow, England, going to get to the World Cup final baby, I believe. And today, Tech and Beer, that's what's most important today. So we're talking to Art Spriggs. Art Spriggs is like IT royalty here in Halifax. Uh, he's been in the game a long time. He knows a lot of different people, uh, a lot about where IT has come from and where it's going. So we're going to be talking about trends and technologies and how technology is uh, influence, influencing different things globally. Uh, so, hey, Art, welcome to Tech and Beer. Best place I could have been at the time. Let me tell you, there's beer and there's great conversation. That's all it counts. Absolutely. Cheers. 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 What are we drinking today? Well, this is a Spindrift Hurricane. And I've been to the Spin, Spindrift uh, IPA. facility. IPA. Yeah, IPA. I, um, I went to the facility. I was very, very impressed. They had a individual that sat in almost like a lobby, and they were running the entire brewery. It was a blackout brewery. Like all they had to do was change the yeast. Yeah. The entire thing was blackout, Fantastic. run by technology. They ran in, got their yeast, went out, but everything else was run on tech. So in, incredible, like uh, I thought, I'll drink that. So what's your background, Al? Started off in the financial sector. Uh, this was in the 70s, so there's a little bit of an age thing there, but um, I worked for the Royal Bank of Canada, and then I was with Dun & Bradstreet Corp, so I was involved in corporate credit. And then I was very fortunate in the IT industry, as in it was just sort of a budgeting sort of industry at the time, and uh, Cybertech Trading Corporation, which was one of Canada's largest distributors. Uh, there was only two at the time. There was Citation Software out of Winnipeg, okay. and there was Cybertech Trading out of Vancouver. And at that time, you have to understand, Intel wasn't the large processor manufacturer. You're talking about Zilog. I, like Atari had 14 different operating systems that were actually for sale you had the databases were Ashton Tate, DB2, like there was, the, the, the industry was totally different. And the people that ran it were from away and they wanted Canadian general management. So I was very fortunate that I entered into the IT sector back in the 80s, early 80s, and the interesting thing was is I entered in at a very, very high level within the industry, but didn't know a thing <laughs> about computing. Not a thing. I had no idea where they were going with this. So, but if one spends eight hours a day within an industry, after 10 years, you catch on. You catch on, yeah, absolutely. So I started to catch on, then I went through and I uh, went through VTech. I was the vice president of VTech for a while. Um, and then I went through to Compaq Corp, Hewlett Packard Corp, System now House. with ABM. Yeah, System House was in there as well somewhere? System House, that was just before Compaq Corp. Okay. Um, that's when I left working <clears throat> with the um, international companies and came into Atlanta, right. Canada and went with System House. Excellent. And then from there, Compaq, HP, and then ABM. Awesome. So. I mean, that's, that's fantastic, uh, you know, breadth of experience that you've got there. And, uh, a breadth of time. Breadth of time, too. Well, time, <laughs> with, with experience comes time, normally, yeah. right? So what we want to talk about today are some of the trends and, and strategies and, and things that we see happening in the global IT market. 
And what, what would you say are the key things that we see from, a, from an IT business perspective that are happening? What should businesses be aware of? What should, what, what should they be looking at? Okay, well, the trends within the industry right now would be, okay, cloud adoption. Yeah. Uh, whether it be private or whether it be public or whether it be a hybrid environment, whether it be a hyper-converged environment where they're changing the dynamics between how that traditional three-tiered architecture works within a data center. You're looking at Internet of Things. You're looking at everything becoming connected because right. basically what you're looking at is the, um, the fourth industrial revolution is taking place. Right. So you had the first one where you're just getting into the mechanization of things. You're looking at steam power. Yeah. And then that moved on to the, the next revolution that took place, which was your um, work lines and your, you're starting to get a repetitive job functions. Yeah. Ford started off with your production line environments and things like that. And yeah. You started to see electricity coming into play. And then all of a sudden you had the third industri industrial revolution, which was starting to add compute to that whole right. thing. And so your, your compute, your digitization of things. And now the fourth is the connectivity of everything. Yeah. So you have the internet of things. You have machine learning that's predicting things that are taking place because of the, the vast landfills mm. of data that are out there that they can now analyze. Yes. Um, so yeah, so the, the industry as a whole is you have a connectivity taking place now between so many things. You actually yeah. have... A, a new revolution coming. It's interesting you talk about, um, or you mentioned there the, you know, the analytics and the big data and the, the analyzation of big things. I was reading an article uh, just this morning and yesterday um, about how like farmers in Ghana, uh, cocoa farmers, are, are using big data to triple their yield. And there, there's literally companies out there that are helping farmers that last year produced four bags to make more than that. Like, we're not talking big farmers, we're talking small farmers that are benefiting from technology and how technology is being brought to bear on the markets and the industry. So, from your perspective, like, globally, who's making a difference? Like, who's, who's zooming in and doing those kind of things? Because I think when I hear those stories, that's amazing, that's changing the world. That's benefiting people's lives in different places. So. And you brought up a, a very good point. Farming is probably one of those things that's probably the most uh, visible, the, the thing that can make the biggest impact. There's, there's vast areas of the world that, that need something different to happen. Mm. So um, I was fortunate enough to attend a conference in the last uh, couple of months, and one of the big players there that was highlighted and profiled and I was absolutely fascinated with was out of New Jersey, they're called AeroFarms, A-E-R-O-F-A-R-M-S, like AeroFarms. Absolutely fascinating company, changing the world, definitely changing the world. We're looking at a, what they call vertical farming. Hmm. So close to the population base, they have a facility, indoor facility. They use aeroponics. Not hydroponics, aeroponics. Okay. They use 1% of the land of traditional farming. They use 95% less water than traditional right. farming. 
they use no pesticides, and they don't use any genetically modified seeds because they don't need to withstand harsh environments. Right. And they have 390% yields off traditional farming. Wow. That changes the world. Yeah. I can move that anywhere. I can do something with that. Um, I saw an interview recently with Ford Motor Company. Now everybody talks about autonomous driving, right? Okay, so autonomous driving, everybody's, uh, there's no driver or so on. That's not a thing. That, that's going to be a thing, but that's not a thing. Not right now. It, not right now. What we're looking at right now is a process though. And one of the heads of Ford got up and they went, by 2020, 2020 is not that far away. We're, we're 2018 right now. Couple of years. 2020 is right there. There will be enough technology embedded into the standard Ford vehicle that 90% yeah. of the accidents that occur right now will not occur. They can already reverse park better than most of us can. <laughs> they can certainly reverse park better than I can, <laughs> um, especially after a nice spin drift. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the... Um, the Ford Motor Company is doing incredible things, amongst others, to embed technology that would make autonomous driving more of a process. Mm. It's not a, um, a leap or a leapfrog into, oh, well, now there's no drivers. Yeah. Now, my son was probably the most <clears throat> insightful when he looked at me, and this was a few years ago, and he said, you know, we're going to look back on today. And we're going to laugh, as I, he says, as I explain to my grandchildren. And when they go, okay, you were traveling down the road in a car yeah. at a couple of hundred feet per second in an inner combustion engine, 3,000 pounds of steel and glass. And how did you stay safe? Don't worry, son. We painted lines on the road. <laughs> and that kind of insight from, from him... Um, led me to really be interested in what Ford was doing with the yeah. autonomous driving, with, with accident prevention, with sensors, with so on. And, and then... The autonomous driving piece yeah. has real implications for business too because the trucking industry, I mean, they've, al they've already started making uh, autonomous trucks, semi-trucks that do deliveries, and they've made deliveries on the highway uh, where, the, where the computer's just driving the truck. <laughs> and... When you, when you look at you know, the roads here in Canada and the rest of North America, semis are big, powerful vehicles. They, they're responsible for the, the movement of so much, so many goods and so many um, things that we need. Uh, but they're dangerous. They're definitely dangerous. When, when, when you yeah. have an accident with a semi... It hurts. It hurts, right? Like you're and those are the things probably not surviving. can be mitigated M mitigated rather than eliminated but they yeah. can be mitigated to a 90 percent rate that's incredible you look at different technologies that are coming into play like um, vr technology they're wanting like outside of gaming and amazing movies um vr technology is coming into play skip ruzo with the institute of creative technologies in california began vr therapy so he started with a project where he dealt with Canadian and American veterans who were suffering from PTSD. And he realized that in the event that he could use VR glasses and so on to reproduce the point of trauma 
Mm. So he would put them back into Afghanistan, he would put them back into the, the yeah. places where the trauma took place and treat them within that space. Right. And that would go well for phobias, that would go well for so many things. Yeah. There's a long list of applications that you could use that type yeah. of VR technology for. So those are some of the things where the world's making a difference. Yeah. The key to it all is, is how do I secure this down? Right. So, so the big trends would be you know, AI, VR. Uh, what do you think of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin? <sighs> okay, that's a, that's, that is a very, okay, wait, nice. Um, <laughs> uh, cryptocurrencies have such a opposing views from, from two factions. You have Warren Buffett who will sit there and go, uh, cryptocurrencies are never going to be a thing, don't put any money into it, and so on. And then you have the other side, which is a foundational concept behind uh, blockchain and so on, which is financial institutions are changing the world with. So it is very, that's, that's a diverse one. I, don't, I wouldn't personally invest in it, but I'm fascinated at there really isn't any money anymore. There it's isn't. not backed by a gold standard. There, it is just a transactional yeah. model, yeah. and it is a business model. Yeah. And I think that given the right catalysts, that the cryptocurrencies are going to keep maturing into a viable form. Maybe not in their current form, but in a viable yeah. form. And even in that article I was reading that I mentioned earlier about the, the farmers there, they, they talked about how in Russia, uh, they they started using a particular cryptocurrency, which is one I've never heard of before, so I can't remember what it was called. It began with a K. Um, but they were using it for the farmers to trade between themselves. So I think there's lots of applications for it. It's just how it gets rolled out. And, and, and at the end of the day, blockchain is the technology behind it. And that's where the real uh, revolution is, is in how, because that's what powers the cryptocurrencies, that's what allows them to do what they do. Um, so that's and kind I like of, that. That's the kind reason of I like that thing. is you've got a disruptive technology disrupting disruptive business. Right. Like the rate of change is perfectly explained in that scenario. You have blockchain can disrupt Uber, and Uber was a recent disruption to an entire industry. Yeah. Because you'll no longer need a centralized repository of administration of funds. Yeah. Basically, blockchain in a, is just a distributed ledger sheet yeah. that can be validated by lots of people so that everybody gets paid and we don't need the central repository. So yeah. I could have me contact you, you could turn around, drive me somewhere, I'm laughing. Yeah. And you're going to get paid, everybody's getting paid. Everybody's getting paid. And I like it. Absolutely. So we're approaching a first here in, in tech and beer history. We, we're going to need another beer. This is, uh, you know, when you have Arts Bridge on your show, you need to prepare for more beer. You know, I was, I, I was talking to uh, uh, a, a security, a, a brilliant person in network and security, and that was Glenn Stacy, and he's with Fortinet these days here in Atlantic. Fortunate to have him here. And he mentioned to me that on your show, he wanted to see more beer. More beer. More beer. We can do that. Less tech. We can but do that. We can do beer. whatever. But that, more beer is <laughs> so, very doable. Yeah. So I was thinking more beer. And <laughs> so back to the tech piece. Yes. <laughs> um, 
we were talking about some of the obstacles and uh, things that happen with technology companies that technology companies that are disruptive but sometimes run into challenges and I was thinking uh, a big news story last week and I always pronounce this company's name wrong Theranos yes uh, Elizabeth what, Holmes yeah what, what do you think of that scenario okay so for those of you that don't know um, she was like Theranos, changing the world. It, like, well, absolutely. Okay, so this was the claim. Supposedly. Okay, so she went to the venture capitalists in the beginning, right? Yeah. And went to the venture capitalists and said uh, she has a technology that she would like to develop that would take um, a couple of droplets of blood instead of vial after vial mm. and be able to run full spectrum blood tests. <laughs> and. They would be able to do it faster, cheaper, and there was no need for the big needle right. scenario. Just a pinprick, and off you go. Yeah. Goes to the VCs, turns around, $700 million later in VC capital, and a big hype. Yeah. You've got to have a big hype. If you're going to get VC capital, big hype. At one, at one point, marketing. she was rated as, like, her personal net worth was, like, $4 billion. Oh, yes. Absolutely. It's zero right now. Zero. And... Yeah. Um, <laughs> What she did is she like went, mine. this went over years, <laughs> and it kept growing. The company valuation uh, peaked at $9.5 billion, and basically the technology she had was error-ridden, uh, would not do any of the big spectrum tests, would only actually do one test. Yeah. So there was a perfect example of where the hype of a technology venture capital funded initiative impacted clinical life-threatening situations like the Walgreens got into major contracts with her uh, you had Safeway pulled out of a deal before they even deployed it and it cost them approximately 300 million to pull out yeah and She's facing jail. Like that is a she's been charged. Situation. She's like, been charged with multiple counts of fraud, and uh, yeah, it's. She would actually use real things made by Siemens, real products made by Siemens and other healthcare people to do the diagnostics. Yeah. While saying the machine sitting right beside it. Right. <laughs> was her mini lab, which which brings brings into question like. We're in a fantastic age for startups and for companies that want to develop disruptive technologies. There's money out there. There's a desire to change and leverage the technologies that are coming out. Um, but like, when you're when you're a venture capitalist and you're a company that's starting out, like, how, how do you, like? It's really hard to quantify, if you're, especially in a uh, field like medicine, like she was in. How do you know what you what somebody's pitching to you works? It's and that's really just hard, it. You've, right? you've like, hit on it. You've hit it right on. Like, I uh, recently I had the privilege of actually seeing somebody that was a, a huge venture capitalist investor, brilliant investor, was in on the, the the ground floor of Airbnb, in on the ground floor of Uber, Snapchat, all of them. Like he was right there and did a great job. Uh, you know who he is, and uh, by name, and he's also in like part of a venture capital group, like uh, A Grade, and so oh, and that's oh, what we we're talking. We actually about. have some other new biz. Well, yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. Uh, he's part of A Grade right now, which is a one hundred million dollar venture <laughs> capital group. He's a brilliant guy, and 
he just happens to have been on TV a lot, which was Ashton Kusher. Our last waitress was much better looking. Yeah, well, I know, but I, that's not I mean, what we got. <laughs> but there's people that probably like him more. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, so Ashton Kusher came out, and he was, he mentioned part of the problem. Like he, he, he mentioned that like in what you were referring to, when he invests in a company, and he's a brilliant investor. Yeah. Like his A grades are like a hundred million now, and he's brilliant. And he said that if it sounds plausible, he's not listening. Like when he got involved really? with, uh, he, he needs to make sure that the, if the big players in that industry even hear about it, they will discount it as being not a thing. Mm. So in Airbnb, for instance, like his theory was is okay, so what you're, when they did their pitch to him, he looked at them and he went, so you're gonna, I'm gonna bring in a stranger into my house? Right. <laughs> or I'm going to stay at a stranger's house. Yeah. My wife is going to stay at a stranger's house. My husband's going to stay at a stranger's house. I don't think so. This isn't happening. He goes, keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> because if the big boys hear about it, well, keep talking. And that was the thing. So she was involved and, and the industry is involved in a, in a hype-driven infrastructure. And don't get me wrong, that's not wrong. Yeah. But there's no model to compare it to. Right. There's no business model that it'll conform to. Auditing isn't going to have any conformity at all mm. to any previous audit format. And that's what made, and in this particular case with Thalanos and things like that, there was a, a sort of a gray area of clinical testing that they fell into that made that whole thing possible. Mm. But the it's interesting what you say though because you mentioned there about you know changing an industry and you know how he would want it to be from kind of uh, out of the blue to him like not in line with conventional thinking and i've been involved with a couple of startups recently and and they're trying to change different industries like the automotive sector mm -hmm. things like that but it's really hard to be to, to be different so it would also be very tempting for companies that want to be different. And, and maybe their intentions are right, so they, they, they want to change the way an industry works, but they hit like an early roadblock. It's like, uh-oh, uh-oh. What are we gonna do now? You know what I mean? So well, even businesses kind of today have a doing. hard time even implementing the, the most basics of yeah. technology into their own environments. It's like you have all the new technologies coming out and you wonder how do I adopt them as a business owner, right. as, a, as a business company, how do I adopt these new technologies that people are developing mm. through VCs, through all these things? How do I adopt them fast enough? And that all comes back to what I would call technology debt. Um, you have a, an infrastructure of debt that you have acquired within your company. Mm. And, I, and I don't mean financial debt, I mean um, people debt, so you have resources that are siloed, that only know one thing, you have a server guy, you have a storage guy, you have, yeah. um, you have technology debt that has to be um, reprofiled, repurposed to be broader. You also have um, resources within your own data centers that have to, I have, I have a storage array, I have servers, I, I have networking gear, I have all of these things, but and I have a huge investment in these things, millions, in the processes behind them as well. And the 
and the applications that run on them and the security that protects them. But I would call them legacy even if they are a month old, mm. if they cannot handle the change that's required to yeah. keep up. And that's tough. So you... You make an investment? It's, it's, it's more than an investment. You need new partners. You need mm. new people to come to the table. You need new, well, new inve thoughts. The investment's processes. not just money. It's, it's time. It's effort. It's people. And people. the resource strength. Yeah. Tell me everybody, like, everybody want to stand up in the room that has, like, raises in their IT budgets for next year. Well, no, it's not happening. And the resource strain is a really interesting one to me because you see, like, organizations, like partners that are out there that say, hey, we're going to partner and we're going to focus on this technology. Well, the moment that technology becomes slightly deficient or slightly replaced by something else, slightly irrelevant, even if it still works like it should do, that opens the door for a new company to come in, a startup or, or a disruptor of some store, sort, to come in and say, hey, we've got something that's better, something that's new. So as an existing, established organization, how do you fight against that? Like, what's the, what's the plan? There, the, the plan is, is, difficult, is a difficult one because you do have to start from the ground up and, and you have to assess each workload. You have to be able to say, what is the best delivery method currently for this mm. workload and how do I make it adaptive? Um, it is a process where you're engaging new partners because here's another one of the problems. The, the people that are mandated to guide you through that technology maze also have technology and partner debt where yeah. they're going, I have legacy quotas with this partner that tells me I shouldn't move them to this partner. Right. So it gets very difficult, but a, a company should be starting to look at those technologies, your DevOps or things like that, that'll allow them to discouple or the, to decouple the, the application from the operating environment and things like that where they can go, okay, I can be more dynamic, I can change faster, I can do things. Mm. I might need new technology partners. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But they're going to have to rethink the way that they're going to do things, and yeah. they have to rethink it every six months. At least. Max. Yeah. And then if I come on the show again, and you will. it'll be every three months. And then it'll be every month. Yeah. It, that's the way it'll go. Technology companies out there, and they're all technology companies now, everything is software driven, everything is software empowered. Yeah. So that's what they should think of. But well, the, the software, dry, like you can have a tool, you can have a piece of hardware, but the software is what defines the process. The software is how, how do you use that piece of hardware, that piece of equipment that you've got. Um, the software gives you the flexibility, gives you the, the capability sometimes to, to do different things that you might want to do. An owner should just ask that exact question. You hit it bang on. If it's not software defined, think again. Hmm. Well, it's been a pleasure, Mr. Spriggs. Oh, it always is with you. Thanks it's like lunch. It's like lunch every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like lunch every day. Where's, where's our lunch? The, where's no, the I'm food? joking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's been good. It's, you know, the technology world is ever changing. And um, there are a few people like you that have the, the breadth of experience and knowledge to, to talk about such a broad range of topics. So I appreciate you coming on. And it's, it's been fantastic. You, I'm sure we'll have you on again. 
and I want to give a shout out to everybody. Uh, thanks for watching and uh, check us out. Follow us on LinkedIn. Follow us on Facebook. And uh, yeah, see you for the next episode, guys.